Welcome to Series 2 of the Writing Around the Kids podcast, where we talk to a wide range of women writers who kindly share their experiences and tips. This series is jam-packed with brilliant writers from lots of different genres, so there's something for everyone. We hope you enjoy. And welcome to the Writing Around the Kids podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we're delighted to have Gillian Harvey with us. Hi, Gillian. Hi there. Hi. So after graduating from university in 2000 with a degree in English literature, Gillian Harvey trained as a secondary school teacher. She worked in the profession until 2009 when she decided, on the spur of the moment, to move to France with husband Ray. It was there she began working as a freelance writer and has since built a career writing features, opinion pieces and short stories for national titles, including Women's Weekly, People's Friend, The Independent, Guardian and Metro. Gillian also works as a columnist for Popular Writing Magazine, a role she's had since 2020. She was also a columnist for Prima Baby Magazine, 2015 to 2016, and Living France Magazine, 2017 to 2019. Gillian's first novel, Everything is Fine, was published in May 2020, her second, Perfect on Paper, was published in May 21, both with Orion. Her latest novel, A Year at the French Farmhouse, was published in September 2022. Gillian lives in Limousine, France, with her husband and their five children. And we're really excited that Gillian is going to be reading an extract from A Year at the French Farmhouse. So, just give you the blurb. After ten years of loyal service, Lily Butterworth has been made redundant. Like any clever woman, she knows the cure to redundancy is a little too much wine and her best friend. Only the next morning, Lily has more than a hangover. She has a whole new house in France. Seeing this as an opportunity instead of a disaster, she's excited about finally moving to France, just as she and her husband had always dreamed of. However, Lily is in for another surprise. Despite planning to move there for over 20 years, her husband never actually intended to go. So begins a year in France alone, renovating the gorgeous old farmhouse that is held together by wallpaper and wishes. Will a year at the French farmhouse be just what Lily needs, or could it be the previous owner, Frédéric, that's the answer to Lily's dreams? Oh, fantastic. Um, So over to you, Gillian, and if you could just put in context where the bit that you're reading from the book so that our listeners know which part of the story you're reading from. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to read from the part where Lily gets on the plane. So she's made her decision to go to France and uh, she's leaving her old life behind. Great. Over to you. Okay. With a sigh, Lily watched as the cluttered tarmac of the airport fell away and within seconds the whole area became a tiny square covered with toy planes, model buildings, ant-like people scurrying back and forth. As the plane gathered momentum, her horizons expanded. Fields and towns and roads and houses, map-like and surreal, tiny playthings in a child's model village. She knew that, somewhere down there, a tiny Ben was making his way to work. A pea-sized tuft off to stay with a friend who had a pool. No doubt a mini Graham was sitting at his desk in Banks Designs, opening the first email of the day. Everything carried on, yet she'd slipped into a different life, stepped away from the roles that had defined her for 20 years, wife, mother, designer. She'd shrugged them off. They were unwanted items of clothing rather than facets of her identity. It was liberating. It was terrifying. It was a relief too, in some ways, knowing that although, of course, 
Ben was as heartbroken as her, the structure of the life she'd left behind was still standing, would continue to function without her in it. It had looked beforehand as if everything she was involved in would crumble if she was removed from the world she'd created, but she gently pulled herself from the tower of responsibilities and familiarity like a piece of a Jenga puzzle and life was carrying on as normal. She couldn't let herself think of last night when Ben had tried for the last time to persuade her not to go. Don't I mean anything to you, he'd asked, eyes pooling with unaccustomed tears. Stay, please. He'd cried too. Ben, I have to do this, she'd said. She tried to add, please come with me. It won't be the same without you. But the words had stuck in her throat. Ty had been surprisingly understanding about it all when she'd broached the subject with him a week ago. Will I be able to bring my mates out, he'd asked. When things are sorted with the house, of course, and you're welcome any time. Plus, I'll be back. It's only an hour and a half flight. He'd nodded. Bit weird about Dad, though, he'd said. I know, she'd said, brushing his hair with her hand. Sorry, Ty. Then, maybe he'll come and join me in the end. He'd grunted and shrugged in a kind of teenage acceptance. It's okay. Dad's a big boy, I guess. She'd kissed the top of Ben's head as she left him that morning when he was fast asleep and looked heartbreakingly funny and rumpled. After their late night when nothing had been achieved except the sharing and perpetuating of misery, she decided to resist the urge to wake him and try just one more time to get him to join her. Don't you see, she'd said last night, I have stayed for you. I've put off this dream for years, for you, for Ty, for the family. I've loved you enough to stay over and over again the whole time we've been together. And you promised that we would do this. It might seem unimportant to you but believing we'd do this one day was a thought that kept me going through everything. He loved her. She really believed that. He just didn't love her enough. And even though there was nothing wrong with their relationship, realising that her husband's love was in fact conditional rather than the opposite had made it a little easier to walk away. Even so, although she'd known it was pointless, she'd kept finding herself glancing at the road behind her as her taxi had made its way to Stansted this morning hoping to see him in pursuit in his Volvo estate. Then, when strolling half-heartedly around duty-free, waiting for her flight to be called, had found it almost impossible to tear her eye from the passport queue. Perhaps she'd see his messy brown hair over the top of the crowd and discover that, after all, he had decided she was worth the risk and prove that, in fact, love did conquer all, even worries about security, mortgage payments and work commitments. The ultimate airport movie moment. But feeling the upward motion and hearing the ting of the seatbelt sign, she knew now without doubt, and somehow for the first time, that he really wasn't coming. That it really had been goodbye rather than au revoir. Part of her wanted to roar with frustration, another to curl up in a ball and weep and weep. She wanted to stop the flight to rush back to him, yet she wanted to move forward too. How many more years would he have let her wait before he'd admitted he was never really on board with the plans she thought were theirs rather than hers? Oh, that's just heartbreaking. It totally is. I just want to yeah. carry on hearing from the story and yeah. find out how it finishes. Oh, thank you. Just before we came on air, we were um, just saying that we love kind of the premise of this that she's got pissed and then bought a house because we're saying, <laughs> you know, the, like, the late night eBay purchases and things. Uh, you know it's, it's it's very relatable yeah um, how did you like what was the inspiration for this well I suppose I wanted to 
think about what, what it's like to just move to France spontaneously. Mm. Um, in some ways, I did that myself, but not quite as spontaneously as, as Lily. So um, my husband and I were both teachers and we were thinking, you know, life is really tough and we never see each other and there must be something we can do together and I'd been to a particularly horrible meeting and I came home in the dark and it was November and I just said to him shall we move to France and he said yeah and it was just out of the blue like that it just came to me in that moment and um, although we didn't then go on eBay we (laughs) spent a little bit more time uh, making plans um, we did kind of launch ourselves into the country knowing probably very little about what we were really doing and um, that created a lot of um, ups and downs and and I guess adventures when you look back on them and I I like that idea of of the surprise of the difference that you find when you when you move here for for better and worse and wanted to recreate that in a more extreme way in Lily. So while writing the book were you drawing inspiration from your actual surroundings where you are now or is this is the is Lily's life entirely fictitious um it's entirely fictitious but I did um set it where I live and in a way it was really lovely for me because I've, I've lived here for 13 years now although it doesn't feel like it and I think you stop seeing the beautiful surroundings yeah. you live in and you just get on with the, the washing up, don't you, <laughs> or whatever it is. And when I started to describe everything again, I was thinking, yeah, I live in a really beautiful place. It was really nice to, to kind of revisit that through new eyes. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. I mean, we live in Brighton and I feel like you can, you just kind of, yeah, you can just go around quite blinkered until you've got somebody who comes down to stay and then you give mm. it the whole jazz hands of da-da, there's this, there's that. And so re-falling <laughs> back in love with your with your environment, that sounds like it, this has been a, a lovely mm. kind of byproduct of the book as well. Definitely, yeah. I looked at it with new eyes. So it was it was great to do that. But obviously, when you suggested uh, a move to France, your husband was more on board than, than Lily's. <laughs> yes. Although actually, in that moment, we were both on board, and then we stayed another year to, in theory, save some money, which didn't really happen. But nevertheless, we we did it. Um, and over that time, I think we both got cold feet at different moments, um, and the other one would talk them round, and then we'd we'd have other doubts. So. Um, we, we kind of propelled ourselves here somehow in the end. Yeah. We did have our, our little wobbles along the way. I've got a um, a similar story where me and my husband kind of took a gap year with the kids before they were starting school, but neither of us can actually remember whose <laughs> idea it was. <laughs> so I like that you know that it was definitely you because we just know one of us suggested it and the other one, someone went, we could just go travelling. And the other one like, let's just go travelling. But neither of us knows actually which one it was that was the instigator. <laughs> no, it's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Your career as a writer began when you moved to France, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I was always writing. So yeah. uh, I was one of these people that sort of was scribbling things from five years old. But I think on some level, I think that's something that can really happen in your life, you think, oh, that's, yeah. a, that's your kind of pipe dream yeah. and uh, you need your real life too. And I think so I, was sending, I was writing novels and sending them off um, a little bit before I came to France. Yeah. And then after a year or so, I think I, I just wanted to get my teeth into something. I'd, I'd had a um, baby and a um, very difficult twin pregnancy as well. And I just thought, you know, we're, we're in this very quiet place and you're spending all your time with 
with babies mm. and you're tired and you just need something. And I thought, well, I'll do a writing course. Mostly, I never really thought I'd get anywhere with it, which probably is what made me brave when I was pitching and things yeah. because I was just jumping through the hoops that were set for me by the course. So I... Um, Basically, I chose this course because I'd, I'd met with a little writer's group and there was this one guy there who'd won a short story competition after doing mm-hmm. this course. And I thought, well, I, I didn't think his, his writing was that good. So I thought, well, it, it must be a really good course. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I did that. And um, I wasn't really interested in doing freelancing or anything like that. I just wanted to get to the fiction bit. But the whole premise of the course is you've got to do it all. And so I, I and some of it is pitching and so I pitched and um, I just got my first piece of work and I was amazed um, because right at the beginning, I just said to my husband, Ray, if I get anything published ever, it would be so amazing. Yeah. And now I, I just can't believe I, I felt like that, but it was just sort of something that I felt was out of reach, I think, to ordinary people. Yeah. So it worked out really well in the end, obviously. And so you were writing during lockdown um, with mm. four children and five children, sorry. Gosh, uh, I just, <laughs> I can't, it blows my mind a little bit because I was thinking I wrote, because um, we were both writing our, our first kind of novels at the same time, weren't we? Um, mm, and that's it, yeah. I was, yeah. Too, you know, I had um, two young children who would, uh, would kind of drive me absolutely crackers at the same time. And I just, yes, basically my question is, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for me, um, writing is very much an escape. Yeah. And um, it, when I come away from my computer having written, I feel as if I've had my brain turned off for a little while and now it's back in the room. And I think it really gave me some respite yeah. from the, the constancy of, of having the children there all the time. And my husband was here too. And luckily, we had very good weather during mm. the most part of it. So um, we we didn't do as much homeschooling as maybe we were meant to. Um, it's all in French. And although my French is okay, it's it really is hard work trying to teach it as well. Yeah. So we thought, well, the children will catch up. We'll get them a tutor. We'll do what we need to do. But uh, my, my most pressing priority for them during lockdown was keeping their mental health um, intact, really. Because I think, for me, you know, you can catch up with other things, can't you? So we did a lot of outdoor stuff. We we bought a kind of um, a pool for the garden, not a, not an inbuilt one, but just an you know. And um, so, so they were doing a lot of outdoor stuff, and then they were kind of slumping out. And when they were when they were doing that bit, that's when I disappeared mm-hmm. to the attic and and wrote. And um, it kept me sane, really, in many ways, just to have that normality, really, and and be writing about world where things weren't completely falling apart. So in a way, I survived because of it, not in spite of it, if that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. I think having, yeah, this yeah, this kind of like world, as you say, to escape into is um, is quite a safe place to be, isn't it? Because you have total control mm. over that as well yeah. when everything else is spiralling out of control a little bit. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so that was um, uh, your kind of, uh, your writing routine when the kids were at home during that time. So in your in your normal mm. kind of day to day, are you somebody that can sit at the desk for the whole day writing, or do you have a particular routine or something you need to um, maybe do before you can get going? Um, well, I think I try to keep my writing to the mornings if I can because I feel like my brain works best 
at those times. Yeah. So, I mean, occasionally it will it will drag into the afternoon. But if I'm doing creative writing, if I'm writing a novel, then that's always the first thing I do once the children have gone to school. It's the first hour or so is when I really feel I'm firing on all cylinders or as many as I've got, yeah. really. <laughs> and um, then I'll, if I've got to write a, a piece for a, a medical website on Verrucas or something, I can do that in the afternoon. No trouble, but um, yeah. So, so I'm definitely a morning person when it comes to writing. Yeah, I think mornings. I've, I feel the same as well. I find mornings easier before um, the world starts mm. to kind of inhabit my brain. Um, that point where it's almost like having a, yes. a, a blank canvas, isn't it? That you can start. Um, yeah. Kind of, yeah, kind of working into. And so, with with working in the mornings on your um, fiction writing, and uh, do you? Would you have a, a certain amount of time that you'd sit there or have you got like, is it more, yeah, would a word count be how you'd um, be able to say to yourself, right, I think I've done enough writing for this morning. What would that look like? I'm very word count based now. I think before I got published and when there was no real deadline for anything I wrote, I'd write in fits and starts. Yeah. But now um, I, I have found... To keep my head in the story, I have to write every day if I'm writing a book. Uh, but otherwise, you just end up rereading what you've done so you can get your bearing again, and that's just such a waste of time. So I'll tend to aim for one chapter, and that ends up being usually about two to two and a half thousand words right. um, a day if I can. Um, usually, I, I can manage that. Sometimes it's a little bit less if I'm yeah, not having a great going, day. Yeah, that's good going, two and a half thousand words. Yeah. Well, I'm fast typist because I, I did some uh, work as a legal secretary when I was younger, and uh, so I, I'm very speedy, uh, which helps obviously enormously. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I, I think that I mean it is quite. I have to make sure I plan, which was never in, again in my comfort zone before I became a published writer. I was more of a see where the story goes. But now I'm. I think I've got a better idea of the shape of a book. It's not overwhelming to yeah. think of a book from start to finish as it used to be. Now I've written a few. And so I can have a rough idea of what's going to happen in each chapter, which means I can just look at that and then go. And usually it, it works out. So I guess I'm quite lucky as well to have that, that ability to type fast. And, and what does um, planning look like for you? Do you have like everything in a spreadsheet or um, is it just kind of a plan that you hold in your head? It's... um. No, it's it's more of a, uh, now at the moment, I do quite a numbered list. Yeah. Um, I'm not really someone who can do all these post-it notes. I'm very jealous of writers who do those post-it notes because they look great, don't they? <laughs> and uh, I think maybe I should do that. But, but I just, I, that's not how I think. I'm just like, what happens next? And as I go along, I'll write a chapter and it will take an unexpected turn quite often. And so I have to change the rest of the plan a little bit or scribble out a chapter and but, but to have that basic shape is all I need. I'm usually so excited to start the actual writing that I don't spend that much time planning. Yeah. Um, I just do the minimum, really. And are you quite a visual person when you write? And I kind of asked this because I really enjoyed reading Perfect on Paper and um, I could really... It, it felt quite um, filmic in the way that you'd written it. I could, I could really imagine it being... Um, being adapted do you when you're writing it do you mm. think is it written for a, a reader or could you also see your work being presented in different formats I mean I, I've a lot of people say this about my books that they're quite filmic yeah. and 
Uh, yeah, I mean, no, you always you always imagine it, don't you? As a writer, I think um, certainly my first love is is books, and uh, but I I suppose it's the way maybe it's the way I write scene by scene, chapter by chapter. Maybe that gives it that kind of quality as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I always imagine. I suppose I imagine the characters in my mind, and I I see them, and I write down what they do. So perhaps I am quite a visual uh, imaginer when it comes to things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'd I'd love to be able to write scripts and things like that, but it's a whole other skill, yeah. isn't it? And I would really feel very comfortable doing that. But if someone wanted to pick up one of my books and do it for me, I'd be <laughs> very happy. Because <laughs> your characters as well are so well-rounded and likable. I mean, we've talked about um, inspiration that you okay. take from your surroundings, but when you're writing the actual characters. Where do they come from? Are there people who will pick these books up and think, I can't believe Gillian has written me into my into her book? Are these based on real life people or are these uh, are these products of your imagination? I'd say it's it's probably 80-20, <laughs> but the 20% that, that bases it on people that I've met doesn't it's not intentional um sometimes retrospectively I'll look through and go oh yeah I remember that something like that happened once or it'll be an amalgamation of of people I've seen or met or or that sort of thing but I suppose it's never no one would ever recognize themselves um there was one one um friend from university who was convinced he was someone in my book (laughs) but it was because it was very complimentary (laughs) A complimentary uh, comparison for himself. So, uh, and I could tell he hadn't read the whole book because it, it kind of gets less so as, as you go through. So, uh. yeah, nobody wants to pick up a book and think like, "God, that guy comes across as a total shit." That must be me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, um, but no, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd feel very comfortable basing it on anyone real. Yeah. Um, in reality, yeah. and um, most of my characters are kind of they've got their funny, funny little ways and. Uh, they're mostly really just taking something and imagining if someone did did a different action or, or pushed something a little bit further, what would happen? Yeah. So it's taking the extremes of behaviour, I think, sometimes as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so are you, what are you working on at the moment? Oh, I've just finished my... Um, so I've got another book out in February oh, with Boldwood, which is called, yeah, One French Summer, which is all about a group of women who go on a painting retreat in in France together really to rescue one of them who's been dumped by her husband but more things happen obviously and I've literally just finished the first draft of the next novel um so now I'm just uh recovering I think at the moment really from from doing so much yeah I I always like to be I mean I always think oh I can't finish this novel then I can have a rest and then two days into the rest I think oh I've got a really good idea for a novel so um I do try I think my brain needs to chew on something and uh it just likes to come up with ideas so it's it's nice to have something in the works isn't it and uh so I'm always up to something I guess yeah that's I think that's a blessing and a curse of being a writer isn't it you know there's there's always another absolutely to to kind of another idea another another novel in the pipeline definitely um so you've just finished the draft of your next piece, your next novel. So we've got One French Summer, you say, is coming out in February. Um, That's right, yeah. So will this, uh, without, you know, 
giving away too much with the draft that you've just finished now. Is this one based in France as well? Have your are your books? It is. At the, yes, it is brilliant. And so, yeah. um, and are there are these all standalones, or is there any crossover with characters between the books? At the moment, they're all standalones, yeah. um, which is is challenging in some ways because you think, how can I get this character to France without it being the same way as, as the mm-hmm. last one went to France? But um, yeah, I, I kind of fancy the idea of, of writing a series as well. Um, but I'm also working on a, on another idea, which is totally different, which I'm kind of hoping I might end up publishing under a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a bit more kind of dark. Oh, that's so exciting. We'll see, it, see if it works out or not. So it's just like the alter ego of Gillian Harvey. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I really do. I have this one. I do have a dark side, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think also I had to I had to kind of de-French my brain for a bit. Otherwise, it would have just kind of got stuck in a rut. So I thought, well, I'll write something totally different, um, almost as a as a sort of uh, Nicorette yeah. to get me out of the uh, the French vein for a little while, and uh, so I could see it fresh when I went back. Yeah. De-Frenching so, your yeah, brain. So that's that's, interesting that's anyway, a phase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so you've we've talked about some really, um, you know, interesting bits of your process and so on. But if there was, um, if someone mm. kind of, um, when you were starting out, like before you did this course, for example, what advice yeah. would you now give yourself? I would, um, I thought about this quite a lot because you do think I mean my first book was published when I was when I was 40 Mm -hmm. and you think oh where would I be if it published at 30 what would be happening now and I think that one of the things that held me back over the years was just that I didn't fully believe that it would ever happen it didn't stop me writing novels which kind of daft really but then I I didn't when I was searching for agents it was very sort of um half-heartedly I guess and it was almost like I felt like I was buying a lottery ticket not that I was making a a proposal that someone might actually take up so I didn't really search agents very well I've got a brilliant agent and it's worked out but um I didn't I sort of used to open the writers and artists yearbook and just kind of close my eyes and and put my finger on a page and go right that's the next agent I'm going to try because I sort of felt there was a lot of fate involved I suppose and and that I was taking a real punt and the other thing that my lack of confidence played into was the fact that I didn't often edit my books I'd I'd sort Mm -hmm. of finish a book and I think oh I've got a better idea I'm going to write the next book and so what I'd send off is not really I'd I'd, I'd half-heartedly first three chapters but I never thought anyone would ask me for a full um I didn't think that I don't know why I I thought that it's just I suppose I didn't know any writers and the people that I spoke to very well meaning like my parents would would be like well you know what's your backup and I don't think anyone really expects you to to do it including myself so I suppose what I would do is um try and have a bit more self-belief although it can be very difficult obviously in in this business um, that would have made a huge difference, I think, to me. I think that's fantastic advice. More self-belief. I think we all need a, a, a large helping of that. Um, so Absolutely. for people who are, want to find you and find your books, how would they, what are your social handles? How can people find you? Okay, so I'm um, on Instagram and um, Twitter. I'm at Jill Plus Five. And then um, on Facebook, I'm Gillian Harvey Author. So that's... Uh, that's a selection of, of ways but yeah I'm, I'm 
if anyone wants to get in touch, absolutely fine. Always like that. So brilliant. And uh, everyone should definitely look out for One French Summer, which is um, out in February 23. Thank you. Brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Gillian. Thank you for taking the time to read read an extract from your book and, and answer so many really interesting and insightful questions as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. Lovely. Take care. Bye. Bye. We hope you found some inspiration in that chat. For more writing resources, go to our website, writingaroundthekids.co.uk, where you'll find tips, prompts and links to our social media. And don't forget, you can still catch up on all the fab episodes from Series 1.